It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. Over the weekend, I helped someone workshop a new podcast, worked on a sales kit for MJ Skin, edited this interview for Casually Baked, and then I watched the Super Bowl. And I cringed at every slow mo helmet collision replay. Oh, bless their brains. I have brains on the brain, and when you know what's really going on in that head of yours, it's unnerving watching full-contact sports. And don't get me wrong, I grew up playing sports. Basketball was the most important thing in my life for about seven years. I've spent more hours than the average female watching football and combing through my fantasy stats and the waiver wire. So when an old friend and former college football player messaged me about cannabis for the treatment of CTE, I was happy to do my homework. So I've been getting some pressure for some new content. (laughs) I'll admit it's been a few years since I put together new coaching materials, and I challenged myself to meet you at the intersection of high-vibe cannabis use and tools for living an inspired life. We'll also tackle ways to change the trajectory of your day and how to finally get paid to be yourself. If this sounds interesting to you, stay looped in on the dates and details by signing the interest form at casuallybaked.com. And if you're already teed up to get paid to be yourself in the cannabis space, good on you. It's time for you to submit your resume at whiteashgroup.com. White Ash Group is North America's premier choice for cannabis staffing, recruitment, and executive search. 
As the cannabis industry matures, hiring teams will be adamant on selecting applicants with regulated cannabis industry experience. Coupled with the continued effects of the COVID-19 lockdown on employment, this will create an extremely competitive market for both those hiring and those looking to be hired. Employers will inevitably have to wade through more applications than ever before. So if you're an industry trailblazer with a growing business, lean on White Ash Group to provide pre-screened and vetted top-tier talent and custom hiring solutions so you can feel good building your dream team and work-life balance. From roots to suits in the U.S. and Canada, visit whiteashgroup.com to learn more. Tell them Joe sent you. Today's podcast features one of my favorite cannabis scientists to talk about brain injuries and the use of cannabis as a treatment tool. You last met Dr. Linda Klumpers during our discussion about tolerance breaks and cannabis during pregnancy on Podcast 155. Linda has a PhD in cannabis pharmacology and has spent her career studying cannabinoids, the endocannabinoid system, and their effects on humans. Linda is co-founder of Verdient Science, specializing in cannabinoid science and research. She's also the creator of Canify, an online educational tool for making cannabis science approachable and useful for the individual consumer. Linda has 14 years of clinical research in cannabis, and she's co-authored 10 peer-reviewed publications in the field of cannabinoids. Linda splits her time and research studies between her current home in Colorado and where she was born and raised in the Netherlands. Today, Linda and I discuss the basics of brain injury and the varying cognitive and emotional effects. We explore the pitfalls of diagnosing brain injury, what the existing research suggests about cannabis as a neuroprotectant, and the politics blocking researchers and folks like you and me from learning more. I also ask Linda about the long-term implications of head trauma on adult brains and the developing brains of children. Not everything we talk about here is comfortable, but everyone deserves the insight to make informed decisions. Please share the love by rating and reviewing Casually Baked on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. These little acts of support might only take a few seconds of your time, but they make a huge impact in helping others find this highly responsible cannabis content. All right, on with the show. Smoke them if you got them and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. Good morning, Dr. Linda Clumpers. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. We stick to the science with you, so I just got to tell you, I'm a little bit baked this morning. I have this rash, and it's really itchy, so I have doubled down on my CBD intake, and if I stay casually baked, I don't think about it as much, so I am medicated this morning. Uh, let's let's see how that goes. Right. Maybe the questions will be uh, very original, but I think it's... <laughs> If that is what keeps your mind off the, the rash, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I used to have severe eczema as a child. And as a baby, my mom would sew my uh, my sleeves tight so I couldn't scratch myself. So that's one way. <laughs> I should put little yeah. mittens on. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 
I'm really glad that you're here to talk to me. I was messaging one of my friends on LinkedIn. He played college football um, when I played basketball at Midwestern. And he asked if I had done a show on CTE and brain injuries. And I was just like, no, but I know exactly who to reach out to. So I started doing a little bit of homework. I watched some documentaries and I didn't really ever think about it, but they talked about brain injuries as an invisible disability. And the more stuff that I watched, I was just like, wow, it's so true. You can't see it. And then someone can tell you like, hey, I have a brain injury. And there's always this questioning from either an employer that you're making something up or whatever, because it's, you can't see it. So I wanted to really shed some light on just the plight of people with brain injuries, but then also find out from you any current research that's going on around cannabis use and cannabinoid therapy and, you know, what people can do to try to kind of bring some normalcy back to their life. Yeah, yeah. And I think you described it really well that it's so invisible. All the materials you watched, have you by any chance also seen the film Concussion? I haven't yet, but it was one of the ones that was on the list. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a, a really good one. And um, there you see what is really interesting. If you start diving deeper into it, you probably know very well. There are a lot of um, things we don't know. There are a lot of things we know. And what is also difficult to see is that things are not always about the facts, not ab always about what you what you find, the research, but also for a large part about politics. And the reason why I'm saying this is that I don't want to be political in any sense, uh, but we should keep that in mind. Um, also, when we talk about the question, what do we know about cannabis and brain injuries? And why is there also a lot that we don't know about these two things? So, um, yeah, well, I think we, uh, I hope we have enough time during this podcast to uh, cover all of this. We have as much time as we want. I'm in charge. <laughs> it's <laughs> just whether that. or not you got to get out of here or not. I guess I want to start with the fact that brain injuries happen all the time, anywhere. It can be, you know, car accidents, organized sports, contact sports. People suffer brain injuries that have, you know, blue collar jobs and have accidents at work, or there's strokes and aneurysms and different diseases. So, you know, Brain injury can affect anyone in any family at any time. And the thing that I thought was so peculiar is that it's really hard to detect. And so yeah. I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what that's like as far as how doctors go about, how scientists go about detecting brain injury. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so brain injury um, often happens on a really low level in the brain, so really on the cellular level. And there, there are some things you can see from the outside. So uh, if you were talking about an aneurysm, um, you're talking about a stroke, for example. And um, uh, if, if you're talking about um, uh, those situations from... Uh, blood vessels that break, for example, um, you typically can see that with uh, imaging techniques. Uh, for a lot of um, injuries to the brain, that is not the case. Um, so uh, another form of brain injury is, for example, uh, caused by several um, uh, types of de dementia. You, you can say that my 
you know, insert family net member suffers from Alzheimer's disease, but the real um, diagnose often is made after death. And um, the same happens for a lot of the brain injuries too. Uh, there are various types of brain injuries. Um, before we got on this podcast, you already said it's from this LinkedIn message with someone specifically asking about CTE. So that is a chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So um, the chronic aspect in there, chronic means that it happened over a longer period of time. And so this is repeated brain injuries that eventually led to the, the CTE. And um, then there's other terms that, that, that you hear about sometimes and that you read in, in context of uh, sports uh, very often, but also in uh, accidents, it's TBI. That's a traumatic brain injury, so uh, caused by trauma, so caused from the outside by trauma on the head. And, and a, re a repetition of these cases of TBI can lead to CTE. Um, so there, uh, you have various ways that you can get brain damage, and there's also different stages um, of these types of brain damage. And for CTE, you also have different classifications of how bad the injury actually is. Um, and no, this uh, these are injuries that happen on a really small level in the brain. And at this point, there's active research going on in how are we able to detect these injuries um, without having to take brain tissue from these people. But by, for example, combining various imaging types um, into one diagnostic tool. But that research is still ongoing and hopefully we will hear more about that in the coming time. But for now, it's very hard. Um, uh, it's more sim symptoms that you try to uh, add up and then try and draw a conclusion about what is possibly going wrong with these people. Yeah, and when you're talking about the the trauma occurring over, you know, a long period of time. An example that I saw was put a peach in a box and just rattle the box back and forth and then take it out and look what's happened to the peach. And it's like the human brain is more soft and malleable than that peach. That was like, okay, got it. And so there's a lot of the frontal lobe damage and then the back of the head for football players who are constantly just like, pounding their heads into each other. So then, you know, there's all these personality changes and stuff end up being what these symptoms are. You're constantly seeing on the news some football player that's beat the hell out of his girlfriend in an elevator or killed somebody. And you're just like, how is that possible? You have all this money, you have all this fame or whatever, but it's like, yeah, and you also have brain damage. Absolutely. Uh, they kill others, they kill themselves. Um yeah, so maybe that's a, a good point because I'm not sure who is listening. I'm not sure what these people know about these types of uh, brain injuries and what, what the consequences are, how they display themselves, why they're so important. Uh, it has been in the news a lot, of course, uh, so people might have read about it. But yeah, for the people who don't know, maybe it's good to talk about these symptoms a little bit and then see how that relates to the brain damage that you see because you're already talking about the frontal lobe uh, which is uh, of course a very important area uh, that's where a lot of our personality is housed where we uh, make decisions uh, certain decisions and indeed aggression uh, suicidality and even particular 
diseases that you would actually expect in someone who lived a few decades longer than these younger people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, memory. Right? Lo- yeah, having the memory loss is another one. The way I was taught about the frontal lobe is like it's our central processing unit of our brains, and so to me that makes a lot of sense. Like if there's damage there, then yeah, you're everything you do. Every decision you make is going to be a little skewed or off or, you know, your wires have been crossed, so to speak. Yeah. Have you ever come across, this is maybe, this is a parallel I'm drawing, but have you ever heard about the case of uh, a man, a patient called Phineas Gage? No. No. So that was actually how people discovered what happened in the frontal lobe. Uh, This man uh, was a good family guy and he um, worked in building uh, train tracks. And then one time he was uh, had a pole in his hand and was, uh, I'm not sure how you call that, but um, trying to uh, put uh, ex- yeah, explosives. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, things went wrong. The explosives exploded and the pole went straight through his front part of the brain. And after that, his personality changed entirely. And that helped a lot in the understanding of what the frontal lobe actually does. It really does change your personality. Uh, he became aggressive. He started gambling and uh, he was uh, aggressive to his wife. And that is also part of what you see happening with people with these um, brain injuries. Um, and also a post-mortem. If you uh, look at the at the brains and um, you look at where the injuries um, are for the most part and the, the injuries that we are talking about um, in this case are, for example, uh, little uh, molecules, let's say, that called tangles that, uh, that occupy these cells and that make them dysfunctional. And uh, a lot of them are found in the frontal lobe. And also a lot of them are found in other brain areas where you actually would expect them to be because they are disturbing that behavior. So emotional processing is also damaged. And you see a lot of these tangles also in a particular uh, brain area called the amygdala, where there are a lot lot of our basic emotions are there. It's deep in the brain and yet there's damage there. I was watching one of the documentaries and it started talking to family members. And so you just think like, I'm married to this person and then all of a sudden they come home and they're a completely different person. So, you know, these sorts of things affect everyone in a family. So if we're trying to figure out, does cannabis have a place in helping these people with treatment of it or perhaps even slowing the onset of it? What research have you done or what findings have you had with as, you know, cannabis correlates to CTE and other brain injuries? Yeah, that's a very, very hard question. And It is also really difficult to find people who have a lot of experience with this. So there are a few things um, that we can share. So in the first place, there are anecdotal stories. So there are people who say, well, I use these cannabis products and those can be various cannabis products. Um, most uh, lately, we have uh, recently we have mainly been hearing about uh, the cannabinoid uh, cannabidiol uh, being uh, protective for these people or helping these people with their symptoms. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, then, well, and let's interject real quick that yeah. the federal government has a patent 
on cannabidiol for being a neuroprotectant. So there's no arguing that. I mean, they might tell us we can't say these things, but they've filed a patent on it. So clearly it must be true. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I know this uh, researcher who filed this patent, who's an excellent researcher. And um, yeah, the various cannabinoids have various uh, neuroprotective effects. Does it mean that if you use cannabis, your brain is automatically protected? That's, of course, the question. And and cannabis is not one cannabis is not the other cannabis. Uh, so there are a lot of nuances there. Yeah, you cannot really do a study and give people cannabis and then uh, let them damage their brain and see what happens. So what you actually want to do is studies in humans who have the risk of uh, getting these brain injuries and then see what happens. And a research friend of mine, um, Dr. Ryan Vandrij at uh, Johns Hopkins, has actually tried to set up a study like this, uh, contacting the NFL and seeing if they can uh, do a study with CBD. But uh, I do not know the details about this, but I can tell you it's been years and there's still not such a study. Um, Interesting. Right? Uh, it seems like the NFL has backed out. Um, of course. For- yes, they backed out because 99% of autopsied NFL players have CTE. Uh, yeah, that's correct. So you're probably referring to a study from 2017. So what happened, just from a historic perspective, in 2015, there was a publication uh, by this uh, Nigerian, now American doctor, uh, Omalu, who uh, found that uh, in, in one NFL player that he did an autopsy on, that he found an image of the brain when he put that under the microscope that he has never seen before. It uh, looked like a case of CTE of uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And uh, after that, in 2017, a whole range of more than 200 brains, donated brains, were investigated by another group. And they uh, categorized these brains on how severely they were damaged, but also on which level these, uh, these were all football players, on which level these players were playing. Um, among those brains, there were 111, I believe, brains uh, from NFL players, so professional highest uh, level, and with really severe pathology before their death. Eh? Uh, so symptoms were, uh, were pretty bad. And then after looking at these 111 brains, 110 of those showed CTE. I yeah. love that I can just... <laughs> Throw something out willy-nilly because I didn't write down where it came from and that you can just follow up and tell everybody the story. Thank you. That's why I love you so much, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good to do this together. Yeah. Yes. Oh, great. This is a good tag yeah. team. So back to the science. Yeah. You want to do this study. Um, there is no such study. By the way, the researcher I mentioned is not the only one who was involved in potential NFL studies. Uh, there are also, of course, uh, people who are not current NFL players anymore who are still interested in participating in these studies. And uh, some groups try to set up studies with them, which is logistically sometimes not that easy. I've actually been part of uh, trying to set up such a study uh, myself for uh, a client, but then that did not follow through. It's really unfortunate there are actually not really any studies that have been going on. I actually, before this podcast, I looked on the clinical uh, trials website where American clinical trials mostly are registered. And there's one that is 
planned on happening, not in CTE, but in TBI, so traumatic brain injury. And yeah, they haven't started recruiting yet. It's a study with um, traumatic brain injury and uh, cannabidiol. So uh, let's see if that will happen. Uh, That would be interesting. Did it say when it was set to start? Does it give those sorts of details? Sometimes they give these details, but most often you, um, yeah, you cannot count on them. So what I would suggest then is uh, to look at a website like that. And I can give you the link later and that people can then look at the the research side itself. Because another study that was given there uh, that would look at CBD and traumatic brain injury was uh, withdrawn because of lack of sponsor money. So that's another issue. And that was also an issue with my client at the time. Uh, changing investors, changing direction. And then unfortunately, super interesting research will never happen. And that's... Well, I know some people. I may have to connect you with somebody that can help with that. More on that later. Let's talk about that offline. So, yeah. okay. So now we we don't have a bunch of studies, but we have a lot of people with anecdotal evidence. My friend particularly said, I have fewer side effects if I use cannabis than if I use the pharmaceutical drugs for it, helping with the mood and helping with the headaches. And so from the information you have access to through Canify, do you have information on cannabis and treating those symptoms? Uh, Yeah, people um, do use cannabis for those type of symptoms. Um, with Canify, we try to not stay too medical. So we're not uh, diagnosing people. We're not uh, trying to ask too much about a medical history. Um, so there are some gaps there, but definitely it is a matter of uh, symptom management. Uh, but as you asked before, like you said, is is this really symptom management? Is there something you can try and delay the onset of the effect? Things like that. And those are very interesting questions to ask as well. And I think in that light, it's also interesting to mention that there has been a study looking at uh, the outcomes of people with traumatic brain injury and whether they had a positive THC screen. And people with a positive THC screen from the three-year study showed better outcomes after they did suffer traumatic brain injury. So suggesting kind of a protective or preventative effect almost. That makes sense because that's what we find with the Alzheimer's research. Earlier you said a lot of those things can go hand in hand. Alzheimer's is brain trauma, I guess. And so, you know, there's someone in Sonoma County, a doctor who's been doing cannabis research with Alzheimer's patients for, I believe, over 10 years. So you would think that, yes, I mean... I would recommend people to completely experiment with cannabis for brain injury. But I think a lot of it is the ingesting of it versus just the smoking of it. Yeah, uh, I do not know too much about that because, for example, that study, the preventative study really looked at uh, does someone have a positive THC screen or not? So there already we know the compound THC, you're not talking about CBD here, but how that THC got in the body, we don't, <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of information missing and it would be super interesting to do a survey on this. Uh, for Alzheimer's, um, yeah, there are various aspects because of course you have the pathology and then you have the symptoms and uh, outcomes with 
Alzheimer's patients and can- cannabinoids have been a bit mixed. So uh, some studies claim that um, cannabinoids can decrease the aggression level in Alzheimer's patients. Other studies cannot find that. And that's also, again, to show that um, it's really uh, when people conduct a study with cannabinoids, it is so important to give the right product, to give the right product with the right compounds, the right dose, uh, the right administration form. And that is something that is easily overlooked in many of these studies. Well, that's interesting that you say that because we're all precious snowflakes and all of our sweet spot and that dose is different for all of us. So if it is a study and everybody's getting 50 milligrams or 25 milligrams and one of them weighs 100 pounds and one weighs 245 pounds, we're already screwed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, very good point. Very good point. Uh, That is also a point of criticism on uh, many trials as well. Um, uh, Where do you go? Uh, Because you can give everyone the same dose, but you can also uh, desire a particular response level and and, and follow a a titration protocol, meaning that you start with this dose and then if it's not sufficient, you go on and on and on until you get the effect you need. Uh, or until you have side effects that makes it not tolerable anymore. And that's a real example of how the the drug Epidiolex is given to epileptic patients. So Epidiolex is the CBD drug, a pharmaceutical compound uh, for epilepsy treatment. And you don't just give uh, a child uh, 25 milligrams per kilogram per day. No, you start off with a lower dose and then you go slowly up and see what happens. Yeah. And I think that's a good point for anybody who is experimenting with cannabis or they've been using cannabis for any sort of brain trauma. I have anxiety and I use the wrong strain or I maybe, you know, smoke too much or eat too big of an edible. It can amplify those symptoms. And same for when I have a headache. So, you know, your pain response and that. I don't know, irritability, you know, aggressiveness, anxiousness, all those sorts of things. If you go too far over the edge, you're back where you started and even amplified. And so it really behooves you to, you know, keep a journal, write down what you took, how you were feeling, how you felt 10, 15 minutes later. So you can find out, you know, pretty clearly what products and what methods of consumption give you the most relief. Yeah, and that is exactly also why it's so important to use products that are trustworthy, exactly for that reason. Uh, dose is so important. As you say, um, symptoms can can be treated. Symptoms can also be amplified. A lot of these compounds, and uh, THC and CBD are not an exception, uh, give so-called uh, biphasic effects. Some people call it the U-shaped curve effect. Uh, whereby indeed you can have very beneficial effects in one dose, but the opposite can be true for a lower or higher dose. So it's a very important point to make. Now, is there anything else we need to touch on in this regard? Because there's a couple of other parts of the brain I would like to discuss with you. (laughs) Oh, okay. Now you're making me curious. Well, I just... I have a lot of littles and, you know, people get their kids involved in sports at such an early age. And so I wanted to talk to you about the developing brain of a child playing contact sports. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. 
So maybe we should start with indeed that the developing brain is very different from the adult brain. And you can see in, for example, um, concussions. Uh, if you get a concussion as an adult, yeah, it will take typically more than a week, like seven to 10 days, but it's different for everyone uh, for you to get better, feel better. Although the, the real symptoms can last much longer for a child, it takes much longer, uh, a young child, um, the developing brain can, the consequences of damaging anything uh, can be so much more severe than when you are already full grown and developed. So it's good that you're bringing it up. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> waiting for the big but. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm going to say things that people don't want to hear. And I, I do that all the time. Oh, really? Okay. I don't want people to not listen to your podcast anymore because of this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, contact sports, there you go. And there's differences between contact sports and contact sports. It's really a matter of what you're used to. I'm an outsider in many ways. I, I'm not from the United States originally. And also, I'm not a big sporter myself. I don't really do sports. There are a lot of things. I like moving around. I like hiking and, and dancing and whatnot. But I'm not a big sports person. And uh, so I'm looking at these things sometimes and wondering, what is happening? Why do people do this? Uh, I have friends doing all kinds of fighting sports. I actually come from a family with boxers. But I'm looking at it and I think, why would you want to punch someone in the face? I I just don't get but it's, it's a personal thing, right? But uh, even as that, uh, and if you're all into this, then it's so normal. And of course you're doing it. Of course your children are going to do it. Of course it is exciting. Of course we're sitting all on the couch and watch this TV show where people beat each other to say it in a nice way. But from, from a scientific perspective or a distant perspective or a healthcare perspective, you see something that is happening where people voluntarily, they opt in to get neurological damage because that is the consequence of a punch that you know that that is going to be neurological damage. And uh, when I first came to the States, I actually realized how big American football is. And I looked at it and I saw a field with people with helmets and all kinds of protection. I thought, what's going on here if that is the protection you need? Why are you doing it in the first place? But okay, people do it anyway. But I wanted to give that perspective because if this is your world, it's so normal. And I just want to say that outside of that world, there are countries where these type of fighting sports, uh, I, I don't even know the name of those, they're forbidden. It's not allowed in certain countries to have these type of sports that damage people's brains. And here you you get the brain damage for free, so to speak, unless you become a professional athlete and then they pay you to get the brain damage. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. So, so yeah, if we're talking about uh, little children, I mean, there are a lot of fun activities that I think are safer. So just indeed, uh, treatment is one thing. If you can prevent it, please do so. Uh, prevention is everything. Uh, if you have a cut in your hand, it can easily heal. If anything damages in your brains, it will just not grow back. And yeah, don't damage your brains. Please, yeah, people it, don't. So the tissue, yes. Once you've damaged brain tissue, it just dies and is just there. Tell me what that looks like. 
Yeah, uh, that also really depends on uh, on the type of uh, brain damage uh, you have. Uh, what can happen is that uh, inside the cells you can get all kinds of damage. You can have uh, a loss of uh, cell number, loss of cell volume, and uh, loss of cell volume is something you really, really notice. You can also see that in the CTE patients uh, that uh, there are some holes in the brains and that those only get bigger. So there's all types of, of damage possible that you can't see from the outside. Everything stiffens up. Well, and another thing that I think about regarding children playing, you know, contact sports, playing peewee football. And I mean, my nephew looked so cute with that big helmet on and those pads. But then I start seeing him and these little kids smashing each other. And I was just like, sister, I think I think this is a little too soon. But, you know, they they love it. Yeah, it's it's really, really tough. And another thing that I notice, you, you say this little child and then it has a helmet on and so on. A lot of people also get bolder because they feel safer when they wear it. So um, I, I've worked in a radioactive lab before and then uh, you only get one glove. Because if you have two gloves, you might just not be as safe as you when you have one glove because you really don't want the other hand to get exposed or touch something. And uh, that's with a lot of chemicals that you don't want to touch. Um, you just get one glove for your experiments. And um, that is to not make you feel safer and do unsafe things as a consequence. And that might happen also with this protection. Someone hits someone harder. But th- th- it's a whole different matter that I'm talking about. I realize that. But yeah, all I can say is uh, we need to do much more research, but please prevent it. Well, and right now with everybody being virtually educated, we need our kids to have more brain activity. So like, let's start putting them in chess club or something. <laughs> do, yeah. do something different. Um, but I had read that 20% of brain injuries are related to the organized sports. So, you know, that's a significant number. Yeah, yeah, it's a significant number and it's something you can prevent more easily. I mean, uh, you cannot just prevent cancer uh, necessarily or uh, diabetes necessarily. Of course, there are a lot of lifestyle choices as well. This is a lifestyle choice, right? You don't have to play sports. I mean, not that type of sports. There are many different types of sports when you get older Uh, nerds are cool nerds get the chicks okay so (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly exactly i i think it's really important to keep someone's tradition etc etc but yeah i hope that people are very also a lot of people just didn't know for decades they didn't know this dr omalu was the nfl tried to uh, silence him they tried to reject his or retract his publication so people also didn't know. So I hope everyone gets educated on this so that they can make better decisions. Yeah, well, we're trying to help. And another statistic that was very interesting and speaks volumes is that 80% of the prison population has brain injuries. Wow, I didn't even know that uh, statistic. Personality changes, socioeconomic situations, like all of these things compound. And I care about this stuff. I met someone during the COVID lockdown last year, and he had spent 35 years in California State Prison, and it was his first year out in the world. And he's a drug and alcohol counselor now. And we kept meeting each other in the same park. And 
So I just struck up a conversation with him one day and he told me what he did. And I told him I had a podcast. And so I encouraged him to listen. And then we just kept seeing each other. And so I've asked him a ton of questions about life in the prison system and and the services they have available to them. And he went through, you know, several different programs to help him get off of drugs and alcohol and just kind of get himself back on a path of growth and recovery. And I don't know what kind of programs are available for people with brain injuries, but, you know, from the stuff that I've seen, like things just need to be really slowed down and broken down into baby steps. And and I feel like, yes, cannabis is a great help, but obviously we can't shovel, you know, cannabis into the prison system that's being done <laughs> illegally anyway. But being able to provide services for people with brain injuries and doing some of these studies within our prison system, we can talk about that offline too, because I would love to get something like that going. Yeah, that's so important. More studies are needed, uh, uh, definitely. I hope that um, uh, organizations are not uh, stopping that from happening if there's not a good scientific reason to not do so. And uh, yeah, 80% of people in, in prison with brain um, injury, there are not many countries working this way, but uh, many people are in prison um, and have some psychiatric disorder and just need treatment. They should, maybe shouldn't be in prison. They just need mental help. And uh, especially to get them out and to get them back in society again, these mental health, health programs are so, so important. And uh, yeah, I hope that that will improve in the coming time to give people the help that they need so that they can hopefully uh, fully function again and the pharmacological treatments they need if needed. Absolutely. So is there anything that I didn't ask you or that we didn't cover that's relevant to the conversation? Well, I am not so sure, but uh, I think that watching that film, I think would be really nice to see a concussion with uh, Will Smith from 2015. All right. I'll, I'll put it on my list for tonight. I'm going to look, make sure I didn't miss anything else in my notes and um, look through the comments, see if there's anybody that has a question for you. Oh, there are. This one guy says that edibles help him more than his prescription medicine, which, you know, based on what my friends have told me, I absolutely believe that. And, you know, what are some of these drugs that are the pharmaceutical drugs that are given like, what are those side effects that, you know, people are opting to choose cannabis over? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually curious uh, to hear what the prescription medicine was, right? It really depends on the symptom um, because it's all symptom management, uh, but it's typically to calm people down in their behavior or to make them less anxious, those so kind of drugs. So... An antipsychotic or an antidepressant or something? Antidepressant, anti-anxiety, and uh, these drugs, yeah, they, they have uh, sometimes nasty side effects related to sometimes to weight management or many uh, gastrointestinal uh, disorders, actually. So, you know, I've given, I freely give my advice all the time on how I think people can consume cannabis. But do you have any sort of advice that you would give someone who's wanting to cautiously start out and see if they can choose cannabis as a solution? 
Yeah, I think it's very, very important in the first place to always do that with your healthcare provider, because there are many there are many reasons why you would want to do that. Um, so as this uh, person, uh, person AG already said, it helps more than prescription medicine. Some people might be taking their cannabinoids together with other drugs. And uh, in that case, there could be an issue of a drug-drug interaction that you want to avoid. Um, so make sure you discuss this with your healthcare provider, be it your uh, GP, be it your um, uh, specialist or pharmacist. Uh, that is that is a very important step. Furthermore, also, you might be at risk to, just as you said, uh, f- because of your pathology, um, there, you might be at risk to actually enhance certain effects that you that you don't want to um they can make you uh, uh yeah it can give you psychotic type symptoms they can make you feel panicked for example and uh, you want to avoid that at all costs so uh, doing it together with the healthcare provider is very very important those regulation to start really 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 low if you are not sure especially for thc for cbd that's less of an issue cbd practically does not really have side effects to worry about typically um, the only uh, things to really worry about with cbd are uh, the drug drug interaction as well as this is an issue for people who might have uh, a liver disease uh, there might be some liver issues just make sure you discuss it with your doctor really interesting um you have one other question is there a noticeable difference in brain damage between people in professional contact sports that use cannabis or cannabis-like products and people that don't? Yeah, that is an excellent question. That's exactly the study that we should do. That's ex- that's what we have been talking about. We have to do this study. The issue is that, uh, yeah, in professional contact sports, people are not allowed to use cannabis. So there was another request to the NFL to have their players use a CBD because THC, that's let's say the compound that makes you feel high, um, that's out of the question. You cannot use that um, in any professional sports. And for CBD, although using THC when you're performing athletic functions, you can get in the flow and be so good. But yes, they won't let you, but it's good. They won't let you. No. But yeah, a lot of people have positive experiences with that, uh, CBD too. And for CBD, there's not really drug tests like urine screens um, on demand, really. But uh, it's not allowed. And uh, therefore, you can't really test it. But therefore, I found it so important to uh, mention this uh, retrospective study. So the study that looked at data that were gathered from people with traumatic brain injury uh, that had positive uh, THC screen, because in that group of people, it was shown uh, that they had a a lower chance to die of their traumatic brain injury when they were actually THC positive. So they were cannabis users. So there might be a protective effect, but this is all speculation. So yeah, I hope that that answers your uh, question a little bit, as good as it can be. Well, I think it's a hopeful response and I'm going to help you get that study going. Deal. Yeah. All right. I know there's never a ton of information because of all of the restrictions on the studying of cannabis and other cannabinoids, but I think we answered some questions as good as possible today. And when we know more, we will do more. Yeah. Stay tuned. We hope to do more. All right. Well, thank you for hanging out.
Thank you so much. It was fun. After recording this show, I noticed a blog penned by Ilana Frankel, a gondrepreneur and content creator living on the East Coast. Her blog discussed living with TBI, so I called her up and asked her to join us on the podcast to share her story. Next week, we're taking a closer look at this invisible disability through Ilana's experience and how she came to choose cannabis as a treatment tool for TBI seven years ago and what her journey has been to this point. You can catch the live stream of my chat with Dr. Clumpers on the Casually Baked YouTube channel or in the Podcast 173 show notes at casuallybaked.com. I'll also include a link to the study Linda mentioned to test the efficacy of cannabidiol as a treatment for symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and neurocognitive impairment. If you learned something today, I hope you'll share this episode of the podcast with your inner circle. And while you're at it, submit your can of curious questions to be answered on a future episode of the show. You can either message me through the website at casuallybaked.com or DM me on social. I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now Clubhouse. There are so many ways for you to engage and have a positive impact on the greater cannabis conversation. Listening and learning is great, but taking action makes a difference. So I invite you to puff, puff, pass it on. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and mixing performed by Q9 Productions. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out a major journey today on all major podcast platforms.